One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories. This is the podcast that, to quote one of our earlier guests, uses music and the way it binds to memories as a truth serum to get our guests to open up and talk about their lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. My guest today is Stick Martin, who, with Dave Dave Dave, created this show's theme song. He was raised in the backwoods of Pennsylvania and toured the country as a young kid with his parents, who worked as food vendors on the carnival circuit. At some point, he started fiddling around with drum machines and acoustic guitars, and at age 15, started writing songs and recording them onto an old tape recorder. And he started seeking out places to play his music live, and that took him to places like Philadelphia, New York, Boston, Cleveland, and eventually Florida, where he found his semi-permanent home in St. Petersburg. Stick attended Cutstown University with an intended major in music composition, but dropped out after one and a half semesters. He says he uses, quote, looper pedals and drum machines, guitars and keyboards, and all kinds of shit so he can sound like a full band even while playing solo, and that he, quote, looks forward to the day when he's old enough to not look foolish smoking a corncob tobacco pipe. Stick was uncomfortable writing this in the third person, end quote. That being quoted, I do believe this is going to be good times. Hey there, Stick. Uh, good afternoon. Pleasure to meet you. You too. You too. Thanks for having me. I've heard the name and I've seen your face on Facebook. Um, that's what faces are for. That's what faces are for. I too dropped out of college after a semester and a half. <laughs> so we've got some simpatico-ness right there off so the bat. So that was the advanced uh, course. You know what I mean? It was so good. It only took a semester and a half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> my first semester, I think I had a 0.75 GPA, and then I broke my leg two months into my second semester. So I was. I started off great, man. That first week and a half or so, I was. I took things super serious, and. Um, I think really was girls didn't like me in high school very much. Right. And so I took a year off between high school and college. And I don't know if I just got like good enough at singing songs or whatever it was. But by the time I got to college, suddenly like girls were smiling at me. And so I was just like, was all I could think about. So why do I have to study? If yeah, thinking, I was you know? like, yeah, I, I just lost all interest. Did you, did you learn anything musically then that you are still applying to your world now? Or did, did you really not get anything out of that? No, I... It, I had one class. It was literally just like a hand percussion class. And uh, that really taught me, like, you can have, like, three or four really simple layers doing really, really repetitive things. But if they fit together creatively, I mean, that's that's where the the alchemy is. You know what I mean? You're getting so much more out of these four separate parts, you know. But uh, – um, and just, just the simplicity of breaking it down to just drums made it easy to understand. You're not worried about all these different notes or chords or harmony. Uh, but that is is gigantic. I mean, that, that to this day, I still use all the time. Hmm. So uh, let's talk for a little bit about your life as a, or uh, I don't want to say as a carny, around carnies anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, it's definitely a carny. <laughs> you were def- it's definitely a carny. Is there a language that goes along with that? A little bit. Um, Somebody asked me to ask you that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess this is like the great grifters too use this, but like Marx right. is like uh, any just a regular person at the carnival that walks up to a game and they think, hey, I got a shot at winning this. You know what I mean? Uh, so kind of the, I guess the object of the scam, I guess, yeah. is a Mark. So what did your folks uh, sell? Uh, they sold lots and lots and lots of stuff. They were actually the cookhouse 
which means that they, you know, when the carnival was open, they sold hamburgers and hot dogs and, you know, French fries and everything. But uh, even when the carnival was closed, they were kind of like the restaurant for all the people that worked on the carnival. So they were open probably, I don't know, six in the morning doing eggs and bacon and stuff like that. Was that fun times for you? Or was that kind of a hassle? Did you not know? And did you have context enough to know that this is like an adventure? Or was this just No, a yeah. I thought at the time, I think it was the perfect age for it. I mean, I did it, I don't know, I was probably like 11 or 12, something like that. So it's like riding carnival rides, you know, five months out of the year or something like that. And uh, there was like a couple other families out there that had kids about my age and we all hung out. And uh, still, I still talk to some of those kids uh, today, uh, like Kelly Michaels and uh, – Dan Ketchum, uh, kids that I, you know, just hung out, ran around carnivals. How far did you guys travel? How big was the circuit? Mostly uh, like southern Pennsylvania and a little bit of upstate New York. Um, sometimes the, like half the carnivals come to Florida for, you know, the cold parts of the year or whatever. But hmm. Does that make you more or less likely to eat carnival food now if you go to a carnival? I Every once in a while I'll miss it. Like I want to get like a – like a funnel cake or something. Yeah. You know what Elephant I mean? Elephant ear. Yeah, yeah. Fried <laughs> dough is what my parents called it. Just fried dough. So you get a, a, a hankering for it sometimes? Uh, no, I think I eat it out of a tradition. <laughs> I think you're, you gotta suffer it's instantly it regrettable. Time. Yeah, yeah. It's just a giant piece of dough, deep fried. With uh, powdered, powdered sugar. sugar. Yeah, yeah, you don't. Like, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Um, music as a kid, um, that seems like an interesting scene. There was probably some musicians around that. Was there? What was your musical background as a kid? It's weird. The carnival thing, it was mostly like a lot of like country acts um, and, and some like sometimes you get like 1950s reviews and stuff like that. Um, and I hated it all at the time. Like if I was like you know, 10, 11 years old, I, I, there was nothing more lame to me than country music. Uh, but uh, it kind of gets in there, you know what I mean? It's like in your oh, yeah. DNA, even if you didn't want it to be. Oh yeah. Um, but there was uh, uh, other than I mean, me and my my brother and stuff. We were into like hip hop and break dance music and stuff. What like year that. would this have been when you were on the circuit as a ten year old? Say, geez, probably eighty seven, eighty eight, something okay. like that. Um, and you know, I mean, it was weird. Weird time uh, uh, to get into, you know, it was, it was, it was it, my, my family kind of stopped doing it, I guess, when I was like maybe 13 or 14, something, somewhere around there. Um, and then kind of became more of a normal, uh, small town life. Gotcha. What was your first instrument? Uh, my first instrument was, I guess, snare drum. Okay. Or maybe, I, you know, probably before that I had like a little synthesizer. I think some guy owed my dad money and gave him a synthesizer that okay. I ended up with. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know how to play it. Did or your anything. folks play music? Did you have music being played around you? Not really. Um, my mom played a little bit of piano or tried to. I learned as an adult, but she she didn't get uh, very far with it or whatever. But they, I mean, she she loved music. They 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 listened to a lot of music. What was being played around the house? My dad was just like a doo wop guy. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, it's weird. He should have been kind of a – his age, he should have been like a hippie 60s kid. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. He grew up with his uncles. So he, he listened to the stuff that like you know the generation before him listened to. It was like, like lots of doo-wop, drifters, platters, stuff like that. My mom was a little bit more – uh, you know, Zeppelin and and uh, kind of the late sixties, early seventies, uh, you know, rock stuff. Were they, did they have records? Were they spinning records at the house? Was it was it radio play? Um, Eight most tracks, of the time, maybe. It was that era? it was like oldies radio was what we would cruise like. I remember just like driving on cross country on vacation, and it'd just be like oldies radio from place to place to place. Uh, so it was mostly what I heard, I guess, growing up. 
Hmm. Uh, what's your earliest musical memory if you try to leap back as far as possible? I think it's uh, like a frog singing You Are My Sunshine on The Muppet Show. Oh. I think a like, frog or the frog? I don't, I don't know <laughs> if it was Kermit or not because like, they guys had like, you know, they had your, your side frogs, you know what yeah. I mean? And they had, you know, <laughs> we can't all be Kermits. All right. It's – like there's no small parts, just small frogs, right? That's the, uh, <laughs> like uh, the shark, right? <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. It might have been like not one of the main characters. It seems like I, you would have remembered it being Kermit if it was Kermit. Uh, yeah, but but I, I can barely remember it. And I think my mom probably sang it too. I think everybody's mom sings You Are My Sunshine, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's that's way back in there, you know, some of the first stuff I can, I can remember. Huh. Uh, where did the name Monkey House Studio come from? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there's a – uh, my favorite author is Kurt Vonnegut. I was wondering if yeah, there was a he has, Vonnegut he has a, connection. Co- a collection of short stories. I know that collection of short stories. And um, it's not even like my favorite work of his or anything, but I just like the idea of like the collection of short stories. Like yeah. that's kind of what a studio becomes after a while. Um, and I, you know, so that's what I, I think there's another monkey house studio someplace in the U S or whatever. I don't know. At some point, maybe that guy will sue me. Yeah, maybe you sue them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you, what kind of stuff do you record there typically? Um, lots of different stuff. I do a decent amount of hip hop, um, just cause there's a billion rappers and uh, a lot of times it's, it's really, really fast. A lot of times they'll come in with a beat they've already paid for and the beats already together and they just lay down rap vocals and, uh, you can, you know, finish three or four songs in a night. It's just super, super fast. Then I do like a lot of, uh, singer songwritery stuff. Um, a lot of guys that, that, you know, they kind of play acoustic and they sing and they write some stuff, but they, they don't really like have a full band behind them. So I'll do the drum tracks, bass tracks, whatever, backup vocals, and try to make them sound like a group. What all do you play? Uh, mostly, you know, guitar, but uh, I'm a pretty good drummer. Uh, not a bad bassist. I'm okay at keys. Are you the drummer on three on our, our theme song? Yeah. Okay. I think, I think we did like a drum loop, and then I'm playing the fills live on a drum kit, <laughs> you know, some stuff like that. Sometimes we'll, we'll mix uh, – you know, formats like that when we record drums. Cool. Um, uh, I was wondering if that was a live drum or if you use a drum machine or whatever. I mean, it's a digital kit that fires, you know, samples or whatever. Right, but, right. you know, you still got to sit over there with the sticks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So real quick back to the, the – you said the hip-hop people will come in with a beat that they already bought. So is this like a market out there where people create beats and then put them on a marketplace oh, somehow a- that people absolutely. buy them? This is kind of a world that I don't really know about. No, it's, it's weird. It's not really my thing. Thing either I mean I prefer to build the beats up ourselves, but some of these guys they just all they do is they sit around and they make you know hip hop beats and a lot of the stuff's kind of cookie cutter where it's like eight sixteen bars of verse and there's gonna be eight bars of chorus and then sixteen bars of verse and eight bars of chorus so it's almost like guys start to write in that format and then there's you know thousands of songs that actually fit those lyrics and chorus like right over what they've written. Um, like I said, it gets to be a little bit cookie cutter, and I don't. It's weird. I think it's something where if you pay a certain amount, you get to use their beat. If you pay uh, a larger amount, you get to use that beat exclusively, and they can no longer sell it to anybody else. But it's not really something I'm deep into. It's just something that like I'm on the yeah. You're, fringe you're being of. exposed yeah, to it yeah. basically. Interesting. I yeah. That's kind of a new concept to me. So um, there's been a resurgence in musicians wanting to put out their stuff on vinyl or on tape or whatever. Do you d- help facilitate that, or you know, do you just turn it over? 
over to them digitally and then it's up to them? Yeah, for the most part. I used to work with a record label, uh, Crafty Records, out of New York City, and they would do just weird vinyl pressings, like the same single but three different color vinyl and and these punk rock collectors would. uh, But it's weird. Sometimes I would just like do the mastering for the vinyl or something. You know what I mean? I'd just be involved in some way. Um, I... Like I respect that stuff, you know, but to me it's it's like I'm I'm a digital kid. It's also it's a little bit like stamp collecting where it's just like, man, I've got Spotify on my phone in a pot, you know, in my pocket and there's just millions upon millions of songs and uh I don't know. There's, there's something about vinyl that can't touch that to me. You know, yeah, it's yeah. always with me. So is it's that like, how you listen mostly, like Spotify or something like that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'd, I'd say Spotify is where I listen to most stuff. What about compression? You know, some people are like, "Ooh, I like it because it's vinyl and it's it's way you know it's 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 analog." And then you've got the MP3s, and then there's the high bit rate MP3s. No, and, and there, I, I mean, there's you're not something hung up on to that. that for sure. But I also feel like, I mean, there's like a Credence record was created specifically to go on a piece of vinyl back in the day. Right. And when you put that on, it like, sounds like they nailed it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, 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 that's that sounds about how how but then there's there's other stuff today that's I mean, it's it's purely intended as as a digital to to be listened to digitally. It's being produced the whole way through digitally, and if it's you, being heard the whole way through by the producers. That's digitally. part of it too. If I record something in Pro Tools and then dump that onto a piece of vinyl, I mean, it's yeah, you're chis- listening yeah, to it yeah, in analog, but, like, but it's not really analog. Yeah. I mean, it has to be recorded to tape. You know what I mean? Like, oh, every, I know. Yes. Yeah, so, so it's even sometimes when stuff ends up on vinyl, it doesn't have that old school analog sound. That's so. That makes so much sense. I'm a photographer, and I I bridged the gap from you know film to digital, and and so I think a lot about that analog digital divide and how we're going back and forth across it. And what you just said makes perfect sense. It's like if you're going to do the whole thing digitally and then press it to vinyl. It's kind of not the same. Thing. No, it's it's almost like it's it's just as bad as you know, like the old uh, like the eighties, the nineteen eighties Beatles CDs, where they didn't really know how to do mastering yeah, of CDs yeah. <laughs> yet. So there was like a generation of people that grew up with this awful sounding Beatles music. Um, you know, Beatles did most of like their stuff was in mono, and and so like these weird stereo mixes where they didn't really understand. Yeah, stereo they were just trying to like yet. just yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so so it's you know it's one of those things of like you know if it's created digitally, I mean some of this stuff is is done completely with a set of headphones on, and it's like they really hope that you listen to it through a set of good headphones. You know, I mean I, I think that stuff's great, but it just kind of depends what you're going for. Hmm. Well, let's move on to your first song. What do you got? Uh, what I think it was uh, Freedom of '76, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yes, a Ween song. Ween is probably my favorite band. Uh, I know Dave. I think that's how I met Dave. Yeah, I was Dave. just about to say, that seems like that's probably a, a, a simpatico moment there, too. Uh, yeah, we we met each other, and then we got invited. I think I played a gig, and there was like an after party. And Dave and I ended up uh, at this after party. We had a Ween off where he would play a Ween song. A Ween and, off. See, you know, and we figured <laughs> out maybe this, you know, maybe this guy's got 10, 11 songs. I easily got 10, 11 songs. And I think we were like 35, 40 songs deep and the sun is coming up. How big and was the audience for this? By the end of it, like two people. I think it was me and Dave and the girl that had a crush on me or whatever. Or, uh, uh, but but at the beginning of it, I was into it. But I think it got to the point where like everybody was like, yeah, I think both of these guys know about 50 ween songs this could go all day i don't i think we just ran out of gas i think he still had plenty of songs uh but that was kind of we we knew we were going to be friends after that was um 
But yeah, just uh, I, I want to do that again, actually. I okay, so song. yeah, we turned that into a live album. <clears throat> so um, uh, w- what song is this? Uh, Freedom of 76 is a ween song about the city of Philadelphia. And uh, when I was, I was 16, 17, my older brother moved to Philly. And um, I was from like this really, really small town. And it just it was just night and day difference. There was culture and, you know, really, really good local music and really, really good, like, you know, world famous bands that were stopping in Philly. Nobody was stopping in, you know, my small town to play. Um, and I just remember every time I would drive to Philadelphia, right, I'd be come over this one hill, we'd play this song and you don't almost see like the, the buildings grow, you know what I mean? And, and just, I don't know, for maybe two or three years, every time we drove to Philly, we'd play the song as soon as we hit the city. And uh, it just brings me back to that, you know I mean? I still love Philadelphia. I still love that place. Cool. Well, let's hear it. This is Freedom of 76 from Ween's 1994 album, Chocolate and Cheese. You're listening to Three Song Stories. It's biography through music. Yeah. Our, uh, our, our director was rocking it out in the booth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so um, you know, normally I would say something like, how often do you listen to Ween these days? But it sounds like if it's your favorite band, you're probably constantly still – I mean, are they still together? Are yeah, they? technically. They, they went on hiatus and now they still do a lot of shows. I don't think they've got any, like, albums planned or anything like that. Uh, I think they had some uh, – Addiction issues in the band a little bit. Yeah, it happens from time to time. Yeah, it's a rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but their guitar player now uh, just goes by Dean Wee, and he's releasing records. He released like two in the last year. I mean, just dropping records left and right, build, his, uh, build himself a studio, and they just record constantly. So, uh, You ever met him or them? I've met him outside of shows and stuff a handful of times. I mean, just show, hey, love you guys. Uh, yeah, nice yeah, to yeah. meet you. I've never, you know, chilled with him or anything, but yeah. Um, uh, who would you like to record if you could pick anybody to record, you know, um, as a producer? Uh, wow. Definitely, you know, probably guys like Beck. Um, I really like um, – I mean, I'd do any of the guys from Ween. Some of maybe old hip-hop stuff like De La Soul. I'd love to have like De La Soul in my yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah. Or, or have like Dr. Dre. I'd love to just like hang out while Dr. Dre recorded something just to see how that guy – like. You know, his his workflow, his process or whatever. Um, so uh, producers from the 90s called the Dust Brothers that were real big for know, three, four years or something. And I always loved everything they put out. Have you got to spend time in other people's studios to see how the process works for other people? Or have you kind of just invented it all yourself in your own place? No, there was a guy in Pennsylvania named Rich Resigno. Um, and he owns a place called uh, uh, Mountainside Studios. Um, it's in Tobyhanna, Pennsylvania. And he was uh, – Maybe 40 when I was 20 and he owned the studio and it was – I mean he just – he knew what he was doing. This guy was a pro. And then probably the first three, four years after I would opened my studio, I called that guy once a week. It was like, hey, man, I've, every time I talk to <laughs> the mic – I got a new mic, problem I need to solve. It comes out of the headphones two seconds later. What am I – you know, I mean <laughs> just just anything that you had a question about, uh, he knew an answer to. Um, and I recorded with him a couple of times and the first time I went in there, like he, he – he, you, you go into a studio the first time, the guy's like, oh, what kind of kick drum sound do you want? I have no idea what you're talking about, man. Yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I've heard drums, but I didn't, you know, he's like, well, do you like this or do you like that? And I'm like, ah, they both sound exactly the same, yeah, dude. I, I, can't, I can't hear the difference Yeah, yet. yeah. Can you I hear mean, the difference these days? I yeah, mean, absolutely, you, you absolutely, sure. But, but like, I mean, so the first couple times you're in there, it just seems like random nonsense. But maybe the third time I worked with that guy, I, I knew enough where I was like, oh, so this is what he's doing with kick drums. And you know what I mean? Yeah, where a lot yeah. of them 
made sense. But I mean, that was like me going to college. It was just like working with that guy. It was he? He just. He, he knew – there was no question that he, he didn't have an answer to. And a lot of the stuff, there's different techniques. He's like, well, this is how I do it, but a lot of other guys do it this way or that way or whatever. Um, but just brilliant, just a, a brilliant dude, super smart, super helpful, could under, you know, explain things in ways I could understand. You got any, uh, any uh, younger protégés that maybe you're helping along now that you've got more experience? Um, there are a couple of kids that come and work in my studio. And, I mean, like kids like late teens – uh, maybe early 20s. Um, there's a, a kid by the name of Patience Totten. I, uh, uh, you can find all these kids on Facebook or you know, Instagram. I'm sure there are 8 billion places. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, Kayla Corpix is another girl. Um, she just They just flew her out to L.A. She's talking to record labels and stuff. Now, I think she's going to do something real, real big. Um, just – just likable. Anybody, it doesn't matter what kind of music you like. Just like the, but she starts to sing and you go, oh, I'm going to sit here and watch this for an hour. You know? Cool, cool. Uh, there's also this guy I work with, John Jacobs, who is a relatively well-known like Tampa comedian. And we just put out a, like a comedy record that's really? 40, 40 songs long. They're all like 30 seconds to maybe a minute and, uh, and 20. You know what I mean? Really? Real, real short, 40 seconds. Like there's six or seven songs about, like, about McDonald's on there. <laughs> just like <laughs> on plan. You didn't realize – you know, it, was, it wasn't part of the plan of the record until we got to the end. Like, you talk a lot about McDonald's, bro. <laughs> like, just. Uh, oh. But yeah, yeah, that that stuff I love. And it kind of has like a like a TV theme song quality to it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, partly because they're just short. Sort but, of jingly. Yeah, kinda. yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I love that stuff. I love TV. Like, growing up, TV jingles to me were, that was as what's legit. A, what's a theme song to a TV show that you can sing on command? I mean, Monsters, which, I mean, Monsters is an instrumental, but the, it's like surfy Dracula music, you know what I mean? Like, it's amazing. Anything else? Uh, See, I, mean, I just love this because I've asked this question to quite a few people, and mostly they're like, man, yeah, you know, like, no, know, Golden Girls, maybe. But you're Golden just like, Golden Girls, you're oh, just no, like yeah, I, got, I probably got all the lyrics to Golden Girls, all the lyrics to at least the opening theme of Gilligan's Island. Mm-hmm. The ending theme had, like, different words that I don't have memorized, but, uh, uh <laughs> I like when TV shows like Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp was one I loved, right? <laughs> Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. I loved when theme songs like told you the setup of the show, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Like, Brady Bunch. They let you know what was going on. You could, yeah, I don't know. I missed that. Seems like you could do a whole album of fake TV theme songs. Oh, I mean, I'd be, I'd be amazed if somebody hasn't. That's probably uh, true. There's a guy that put out a record called For Those About to Shop, and I think it's like 60... Uh, like 60 jingles for fake products, just like fried chicken. And it's just, you know, um, but I, I love stuff like that. It was to me like oh, that music is legitimate as Pink Floyd or, or you know, it's 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 not trying to be Pink Floyd. It, it, it you know, and when it does what it's supposed to do, it gets stuck in your brain, you know. Well, you know, and, and this is great to circle back around to our theme song, which, you know, we have gotten so much positive feedback to it. I think you really, you know, applied a lot of that exuberance in, uh, in, yeah. your, in your musicality and your way you produce things to how that all turned out. It definitely sounds like it's fun. It definitely sounds like we had fun recording it. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, me and Dave were driving down. We talked about how, like, there's certain times, like, you won't like a song – not because it didn't turn out good, because it was, but it was like difficult when you were working on it. Be like, oh, that song was a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? So you have like a weird relationship when you're working on it. But that song was a blast. It only it didn't take us long. It only took us a few hours. Yeah, it was great because I all I did was just send Dave. I'm like, okay, we want to have some sort of thing that riffs on this. It'll go at the beginning of that. 
He messaged me back like an hour later, and he's like, I'm thinking guitar, ukulele, mouth harp, and kazoo. And I showed Richard that email. He's like, perfect. And it's got the the jaw harp thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay. um, What was the first music that you physically owned yourself as a kid? Um, I know this, like, I give you the first four, all right? Okay. Footloose soundtrack, all right? Um. Fantastic, all right? <laughs> Don't kid yourself. It's one of the greats. Uh, Do you go- like the movie? Yeah, See, all I, right. the movie, I don't really jive with the movie. They're too much dancing. <laughs> I don't know. It's, you know, I, I punch dance sometimes when I'm okay. mad, you know. A, so Footloose? Footloose soundtrack, Ghostbusters soundtrack. I just, when I was a kid, I saw a movie. Yeah, I you just, were like, the right age for that. But I feel like the first real records I got were, uh, Raising Hell by Run DMC, and then the next one's uh, Big Lizard in My Backyard by the Dead Milkman. And it was like like the first oh. real records, and one was like 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 just really good old school hip hop, and the other one was like comedy kind of punk music a little bit. And that's like to this day is still like hip hop kind rounds of stuff. It all out for yeah, you. That's for like sure, you for sure. I loved stuff that was weird and. Do you funny. think you loved it because of who you? We're going to turn out to be, or do you think it turned out to be who you are because you listened to it? Or, you know, where's the chicken and the egg here? There's definitely, like, especially with Dead Milkmen, like, they sounded like guys that were, like, four years older than I was. And, like, it wasn't recorded very well. So it was, like, one of those things where, like, hey, maybe that's something I could do. Like, you liked it because, you know, like, in the 80s, like, there were professional rock stars. And they were – it was so lame. And, like, I mean, just even as, like, a a five- or six-year-old kid, just I'd see these guys with teased hair that – like, I know, just blow drying your hair for 45 minutes didn't feel like rock and roll to me. You know what I mean? It just, <laughs> yeah. you know, poison and, and just all, all of those bands. Um, so then I heard this stuff. It was just like so goofy and uh, just, I mean, some of it is, is stupid. Some of it is so immature and in really poor taste. Uh, but I loved it. I think that's part of why I liked it, too. It just, it was, you knew, like you were giggling at stuff that you weren't supposed to be giggling about, you hmm. know. Uh, mixtapes, where'd they fit into your childhood? Ah, uh, big, big mixtape guy. Um, I, uh, my dad's kind of a, like a psycho. He was like a Vietnam Marine. And so it just it was like, yeah, he could, blow, he could blow his top at any moment. So I learned to just stay out of his way and I would hide in the basement and make mixtapes. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what were you, uh, what was your method? Were you recording them off the radio? You, you, you probably may have had a double cassette thing yeah, going. Yeah, real early. I remember there was, this like every morning they would do funny songs like yeah fish heads and and uh, oh, like heads. there's a bathroom on the right weird fish parodies heads, oh, yeah 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 oh, wow that's poly that's, that's a real deep memory <laughs> I took him to the movies I didn't have to buy a ticket to get him in like this I you know this stuff's amazing to me I, I couldn't I couldn't believe it was like I didn't know you could do that I didn't know like somebody paid money to make this like a team of people went yeah, in and created yeah. fish heads you know. Um, I was just like, amazed by that stuff. Early Weird Al was, you know, just thought it was. You ever seen Weird Al? Uh, yeah, I have seen him once in concert. Um, I it's amazing. Seen him. I've it's heard amazing. he's the most amazing live show that you can see. He was. He looks great. Like yeah. he's a vegan. Yeah. Um, and so he like he he's going to outlive us all. Dude, he looks fantastic. He looks like he did in 1983. He's going to be making uh, satirical versions of songs 50 years from now. No, yeah, I love it. His last album that the day it came out was the number one record. Finally, it was like he had like some 15 album deal or whatever that he signed. Yeah, 25 years ago or something. So did you ever make mixtapes for chicks that you wanted to? 
impress? Oh, uh, for sure, man. Uh, I'll still make a playlist once in a while. You oh, know? yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so like a playlist like on Spotify, how does that work? See, because I don't really know the way they Yeah, do I mean, same, same thing. I mean, it's basically a mixtape, but you can throw but it together. you can, together. like, send someone a link, and it will play a certain number of songs in order? Is that yeah, it? yeah. I mean, you, you can design sound, Not to sound like an old dude here, but... No, but it's just like I remember when I was, you know, first doing mixtapes, like, you had to sit there for the length of the song. So if it was, like, I remember when, like, 120-minute tapes came out, oh, yeah, me yeah, and my yeah. brother were like, oh, my God, 120 minutes? <laughs> like, it's, we, I couldn't imagine being able to hold more music than 120 minutes at any one time. Because um, that was more than CDs. That was more than, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, it was, I do. Um, but they were all, it was, like, really low-quality tape. And they would, like, all the beginnings and the end of the tape would all be stretched out a little bit. You know, yep. The song would kind of oh, ooze in because the tape quality was so low. But, uh, yeah, I... I mean, I, it's weird. I would make 10 different mixtapes that had most of the same songs on it, just reordered a lot of the time. Yeah. I and don't they know. were ordered in a reason. You know, you had a logic uh, in your sure. brain. You, you were... The thing about a tape, too, you had the A side and the B side. Mm-hmm. So you had an A side opener and an A side closer and a B side opener and yeah. a B side closer. Like a double album. No way. But then the CD kind of changed that dynamic a little bit. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, 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 you know, you still kind of had that, uh, but it's, you know, I always feel like you put out like a 15-song album. Like, does anybody listen to songs like 11, 12, and 13? Does anybody ever make it that deep anymore, you know? Hmm. What about the idea that, you know, people used to make records that had an arc? You know, like professional bands would make an album that told a story. Nowadays, everybody's listening to stuff piecemeal. Do you think that they were losing something there because of that as a producer? Well, I think like the real like gel to albums, like like when you're talking like 50s, like Sun Studio stuff, was you could have a guy come in, do five originals, five covers, slow songs, fast, maybe this one's a waltz, this one's a cunt, right? But same group of guys in like the same room or two, there was only like maybe one guitar amp. There was probably one bass around. And so it was like like one piano. And I mean, so just the fact that you had these 10 songs performed on the same like set of instruments and stuff like that. Like I feel like that made a record. It really like tied it together. Even before we kind of had these like intentional uh, story themes and, and yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean. Some of that stuff because a lot of the stuff like that's an interesting yeah. It, it holds stuff like I mean, there's a lot of theme albums that like oh, well these the first three songs hold together pretty good. I mean even Sergeant Pepper starts to get into some territory. You're not yeah. sure as how it's connected or it's very loosely connected to a live show or, um, but so this like that idea and now it's so weird. I mean you put out an album and like. The kick drum sound is crazily different track to track to track to track to track where like you just kind of had this, these simple things that kind of glued everything together and held it together. Um, and now it's like people are like, oh, I record this track in L.A. And then I flew over here and recorded this in a completely different place. And so it's like I feel like we've lost that. I feel like we've lost the same couple of guys and usually over the same you know day or a couple of days or a couple of weeks or whatever. You know, so it was a group of guys in a specific era and you know and so even like that stuff to me is what really made the albums of when we were growing up I mean especially like anything hip hop or electronic where like everything was just like hey this drum machine came out last summer so this is what music sounds like now and then till the new drum machine comes out and now you know that's that's the new sound like so so I kind of miss that I kind of miss that you'd have a group of songs glued by the the technology I guess I, I love that um, I just one of my closing songs for an episode we just recently released was a song by Ani Franco, you know her. Sure. And I, the reason I played it was because I quoted a line to to 
um, Richard in the studio the other day during a show. People used to make records as in a record of an event of people playing music in a room. And I thought, oh, that's such a great line. And that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's to you, that's, that's a real record. Well, I, you know, I love like the, the 70s stuff where guys really, you know, I mean, I feel like Pink Floyd really picked it up and ran with yeah, it hard. Yeah, they were, on a whole we're gonna go for concepts. Level, right. Um but I mean those were like some of the best players in the world, in the best studios in the world, with the best engineers in the world, with the newest of new technology and guys that knew how to work that technology. You know what I mean? And that that's why I love like that, like the dark side to wall run of there's just like those three, four records that are perfect to me. Um, and I love everything they do, but I just feel like that's when it was just a peak that they held for like seven years. Yeah. It's an amazing uh I don't, yeah, I think Dark Side, Wish You Were Here, Animals, and Wall are just – and I mean I love yeah. Play for the Gates of Dawn. I love the goofy stuff, but – Yeah, but I agree with those four albums. Yeah, it's I just... mean just perfection in sound and in playing. And it was just, you know, I, they, the infighting was kept, to, you know, to uh, – uh, yeah, It's a miracle, really. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're moving on to song two. What do you got? Uh, what was song two? Let's see. That's uh, – oh, a Sunday Morning Coming Down, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, which is just like – I said before when I was a kid, I thought country was uh, so lame. I just thought it was, and 80s country is pretty lame. If you know, we're being there's not a ton of 80s stuff that's great. But uh, I lived in the Bronx, and I would go to this uh, bar called the City Island Pub. And at 4 a.m., they would just like lock the door, and if you were one of the cool guys, you just get that kept hanging out in the bar, and I would we would just drink whiskey. Um, and it was like just nothing but Johnny Cash on the jukebox and Sunday morning coming down. It didn't have to be Sunday. It could be any morning. But yeah, uh, yeah. the sun is coming up and just you and your loser buddy still drinking in a bar. And that song would come on and I was like, oh, man, I get it now. I get Johnny Cash now. <laughs> like I have uh, a memory of this song back in the early days with Dave downtown when we were running a bar down there and, <laughs> and, and all of us getting up at two in the afternoon to go to get breakfast and this song playing and uh, – Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so sad beyond, like, the words and the music. It's one of those things that Johnny Cash can do where it's like this ache that is just present no matter what the words he's singing, man. And, I, and he does it a lot, but this song to me is just, you know, hits it so hard. All right, we're going to hear it. This is uh, Sunday Morning Coming Down, performed by Johnny Cash from his Folsom Prison album. You're listening to Three Song Stories. And Sunday Morning... Coming down. Isn't it amazing how great that sounds for a live yeah. recording? I bet they clapped like another 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know, or maybe you, I don't know, you probably know, I didn't know this until I looked it up to find it for this show, that Chris Christofferson wrote that song? I, you know, I didn't know that, but I, those guys did, you know, each other's songs all the time. Yeah, he, 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 he wrote it. Johnny Cash recorded it first, but then he recorded it, and there's like a John Denver recording of it, and there's like a Willie Nelson yeah, recording yeah. of it. Well, it's funny. When you said it was from the Folsom record, I know that's a live record, but I think I know it from a best of, but it was still this version, and I didn't even realize it was a live version until the end there where, like, you heard the applause. I also found another version that was live from the Czech Republic, I think from like 1983 or something, but it didn't nearly have the same. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, maybe I'll play that one. But then I played it, and I'm like, yeah, this I've, is the one that you're talking about. I've the got one like we just listened to four or five song album of Johnny Cash, like doing like Folsom Prison and Walk the Line and stuff, but just all in German. He's just singing it in German. He does speak German, so I think he's just like singing it phonetically a lot yeah, of yeah, the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be weird. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's super weird. It's yeah. <laughs> 
Nobody likes it but me. You put that on late at night at a party, people think they lost their minds. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty strange. Are we all having a stroke? What's going on? Here? Well, it's weird too. Just I, it never really translates. When you take a song from one language and do mm-hmm. it in another language, there's always something lost. Uh, you know, ninety nine red balloons or whatever. Yeah, Just, yeah. It doesn't oh, always, you know. Oh, God, yeah. Wow. There's another one I haven't thought of in a while. Um, okay. What are albums or an album that you will always want to listen to every track on? And you can't say Pink Floyd because we've already discussed yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and they are, I mean, they are definitely uh, up there. Let's see. Um, honestly, probably Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. Okay. It just flows. A lot of the songs don't make a lot of sense out of context. Um, some of them are pretty short, like interlude stuff. You know what I mean? So it's just, you know, you just hear, you know, some 45 second thing come in where it's just like the Beastie Boys going, woo, over like weird bluegrass. You're like, what the hell is this? But like in the album, I don't know. It, it all makes sense. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, uh, but that album's great. That album's fantastic. Do you ever listen to music you have recorded yourself, your music? Or do you, once you, as a musician, once you've put it out there, it's for other people. It's not for you. N- no, I, I still go back and listen to it. Um, it's It takes a couple of years before get I- some distance? Yeah, because, I mean, for like a year after, I'm like, ah, the hi-hat's too loud on the bridge. <laughs> I'm so nitpicky about everything. But then after a while, you just start to hear it as songs again and that's when I start to really like it and uh, sometimes if I get depressed or whatever I like put on something that like I know I was proud of like I did something okay (laughs) you know (laughs) Um, but I'm always been like an album guy I'm not usually like the live version guy Um, I mean there's certain bands I like to go see live because they jam or whatever but, but for the most part I like album stuff I like that no let's do it in the studio and plan it out and record it right and you know so so the album version to me is usually like the version of whatever it is how many songs have you written maybe 140 150 something like that they still all up in the noodle there uh no there was the, I think when I was like, like 90 or 100 I could keep track of all of them but uh over the years <laughs> Some of the keepers feel less like keepers. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I don't know. I thought it was good for a summer. but um, So it's weird. Some songs I don't really like that much anymore, but somebody along the way told me that they loved it. So I, you feel like, oh, well, I, best, I, or I guess I better keep that one around. I, I don't know. You know, the engine of this show is the way music will fuse into a memory in a moment. Have you ever thought about music that you've set out there into the world doing that to somebody else? Um, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. I've had a handful of people, not a lot, you know, maybe a half a dozen over 25 years that came up and said, like, that song that you wrote is my favorite song I've ever heard. Like, it just, you know, I mean, once every five years I hear that. It's not, not very much. But, I mean, that's, that's amazing to me. That, that, that blows me away. Um, even just if you just play a song that you wrote and uh, you look out and somebody is mouthing the words back at you. Yeah. It's insane. But, you know, it may not even be that they like a song. No offense. No, no. I, you know, but that, you, you know, your song is playing when they kiss their future wife for the first time. Yeah, and So yeah, suddenly, sure. you know, whether they like it or not, if you put that song on, they'd just be like, oh, I'm back there. You know, it's crazy how music does that. And as I don't make music for the public to hear, so I can't even comprehend what that must be like. But it's got to be interesting. It's so strange because there are people that play music that just they sit in their their bedroom and they play an hour a night, you know, a fiddle or a banjo or something. And they never intend to like, hey, let's go be in a band and play at the local bar. That's just not, you know, and it's weird to me. It's almost a more pure form of it because you're playing music, playing music. You know, I mean, I definitely have the like, hey, everybody look at me. 
I want attention thing, you know, a lot when I was growing up. I mean, that's definitely part of why I wanted to be in bands and stuff like that, as I did. I wanted to perform for people. But it is like its own other animal, you know? I mean, I know great performers that aren't really great musicians, and yeah. I know great musicians that don't like to play in front of people. I wouldn't claim to be a great musician on any level, but I play uh, my ukulele every day and have for years and have no intention of playing it in front of anybody else. So no, yeah. I kind of fall into that category yeah, in some it's, strange it's this, way. It's this thing of, I think as I get older, I get more and more into that. I, you know, where I don't It's like care. meditation for me or something. I don't know. Because it's the way your brain has to work to make it all happen. It's just something I feel like a, it's, escapist about it. Your brain is this rubber band. And over time, you get to stretch it out a little bit. And music is just a great act, like activity to fill up. Like, all right, this, this is literally taking about 99% of my brain power to just keep track of what my yeah. finger's doing. Well, I'm trying to sing. And you get and, to see these little pivots of, of forward progress where something that was taking 99% now well, doesn't even take any percent because somehow no, yeah, it's yeah. in there. And you're like, whoa, I can the muscle memory is taking over. I can free over. up my brain to do other things I can, now. I can think about how much I hate myself again. <laughs> Oh, oh so, thank God. <laughs> thank goodness. Thank goodness for that. Um, are you a DJ too? Um, like 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 spinning records for people or am not, I mistaken on that front? Not really. I mean, I kind of uh, like I'll create mixes and stuff. Um, like I did I break mixes where I was just going to do like a playlist that lasted about 20 minutes. So, you know, when the band went on break, I could still kind of have some control of the mood of the room. Um, and then it just started getting carried away. Well, maybe we could beat match all the songs. So as one song, you know, eases into the other, like it's still – and then like it ended up taking me like two weeks to make one 20-minute playlist because <laughs> there's elements of the first song are now mixed into the right, last yeah, song. yeah, because you've got so much context in it that nobody else is even probably noticing. No, and the, at 15 minutes, there'd be like a police siren and that would like let everybody in the band know you have five minutes. Like go, uh, go take a pee. Go get your drink. Uh, Get on stage and tune your bass. Yeah, just weird stuff like that. But I get carried away, but I definitely don't uh, go out to, like, clubs and and spin records or anything. Okay, so yeah, you're not. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, If you could be on stage with any band, I guess you're probably going to say Ween, right? Um, And and play with them like a play set set in front of a huge crowd. And and, and let's, let's expand it to any band ever, even if they're no longer around. Let's see... Honestly, I mean, I love Ween. I might say like a band like War, though, just because like no matter what that band plays, it's so much fun. Everybody's singing most of the time. Like, uh, I don't know. I just I love that. I love uh, all the uh, uh, like the percussion and stuff to bands like that. It's just so much fun. It's the type of thing where like you get set down your guitar and dance. Just just dance along with the rest of the band for five minutes and then pick it back up. But, like everybody's just doing something really, really small. Um I don't know. Looks like fun. Um, craziest concert experience, or maybe favorite concert experience? Do you have like a? a, a sh- you said you don't really like. You said you're more of an album guy, but yeah, there- I mean, I, I go to a lot of shows, especially when I was younger. Um, now it's it's tough. Uh, I because I book my band out. Like I try to book out three four months, and then like shows get announced about a month and a half. So yeah, yeah. I got to kind of cancel something to do something else. Um, but geez, favorite concert or spirits or craziest? Oh. Uh, uh, I, I I can talk freely about uh, yeah can, uh, uh, substance use. Right? We're, we're a podcast. I okay. Uh, I was seeing Nine Inch Nails and David Bowie in um, oh, I think in Philadelphia. I think at the oh I don't even know Spectrum. I think at the Spectrum. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was buying LSD outside of the concert, and my friend Chris 
uh, saw me um, buying it. You know, he was, he was the, uh, kind of with our group. And just to mess with me, he walked up behind me and said, put your hands on the, on the, the car, right? Like a cop would. Hey, put your hands on the car. And so I just took all of the LSD that I bought and put it in my mouth <laughs> and like ate it. Uh, uh, <laughs> Because <laughs> I thought I was gonna get arrested, so I didn't want to have. You were any... taking eight for the team. No, yeah, I didn't. Well, I didn't. I mean, it was such a reaction. I, you know, I didn't think about it. It was not like they kept like, "What were you thinking?" I have no idea. My body just did this, and I just swallowed it. And so then, like, I turned around. It was my buddy. I wasn't in any trouble, but it was, you know, forty-five minutes before the concert started. And I mean, I was, you know, probably out of my mind for yeah, a day and a half or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were carting you around, and the world yeah. was turning into colored grids. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was. I mean, it was a great show. It was, you know, I was the only time I ever saw David Bowie too. So I was glad, super glad I got to see that. And you got? Do you, do you remember seeing him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still have. <laughs> you know, I, I, I usually, I think I retain that stuff, right? <laughs> um. Uh, so. When was the last time you bought music that had a physical form, like a CD or an album or a tape? Um, Jesus. Something that wasn't streamed to your device. Um, I think like the last time I went to a store and bought a record was uh, Wero by Beck in like 2005 or something. I've probably bought like local CDs or something off right, of some like local band. Yeah, but the last time I was like, I think I went to a Sam Goody. Maybe I talking about that might be a lie. I don't know. Sam Goody may have closed ten years before. I went to some store in a mall that I'm sure can't be open anymore, um, and and like walked in and bought it, and uh, it had the you know, the plastic anti theft thing on it. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just it was such a weird format. You know, it's so weird. I had to get my tire fixed the other day, so I dropped my car off at the Sears Tire Center. So I had some time to kill. So I walked into our local mall. Hadn't been in there for a while. And they had a rec- they still a record store in there, you know, like three, four thousand square feet with CDs and stuff. And there was just one guy standing in the entrance. He was the employee, and there was no one in there. And I just walked by and I thought, what on earth is that happening for? I I mean, you I see guess somebody's buying a lot of some. used you vinyl stuff. Used vinyl, I can understand. You but know, a, a, a CD store the in the mall. That's high rent. I remember too, like, dude, that was the coolest job when I was like 13. And I never did. I was never cool enough to get hired by a record store to just, oh man, to hang out in a record shop all day. Yeah. I think that seemed like the dream job. And nobody, I was never hip enough. I, jeans weren't the right color or whatever it was. One of my first great jobs was at a bookstore in the mall here. And it was the book bookstore in town that everybody went to. <laughs> and it was right next door to the music store in town that everybody went to. And I was friends with them. And it was just such... You know, that was as close as I got to the music store. Yeah, but, I worked a bookstore too. Yeah. I'm bookstore cool, bro. I'm, yeah, uh, yeah you that know. makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you about Kurt Vonnegut novels. Uh, uh, but you know what's funny? When I worked at the bookstore, the number one book was the Dr. Phil Weight Loss book. Like, uh-huh. I thought I was going to be doing, like, I'm going to be dealing with a more intelligent slice of society here. It's a bookstore. And then the number one book was a weight loss book by a man that was a little overweight. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I remember when I, when I was working at the bookstore is when Oprah started her book club and the first one was the bridges of madison county (laughs) and we sold like a thousand copies in a week and it was like what on earth is going on here i I, actually i loved the oprah book club because it's a matter (laughs) of like 
you know, you read some some old book and then you want to talk to people about it. And people are like, yeah, I read that book in high school, bro. I don't remember. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was actually like, like there'd be tons of people reading the same book at the same time. I really liked that aspect of Did it. Did you but... watch Oprah? No, no. Okay. I just uh, it was, I mean, it was on the receiving end of it from the bookstore. No, or I'd be on I like I'd be riding the subway in New York and you would just see the same book. Like it just suddenly, you know, to kill a mockingbird would be everywhere yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, that's you know interesting. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and it would always be Oprah Book Club. Okay, let's move on to your third song. Okay. Oh, Ode to Billy Joe yeah. by Bobby Gentry. This was uh when when I first moved to Florida, I took a like a Greyhound bus down here and just uh it was like a, some like a hellish ride from Pennsylvania. It takes like two and a half days on a bus to get down. And when I got down here, uh, my dad picked me up from the bus station, and I got on or I got into his car, and uh, got in, turned the car on, and just "Ode to Billy Joe" started playing. And I had never ever heard it before. Um, and I think like I grew up listening to oldies radio, but it's I guess in the '50s stuff was like a lot more regional. So you might have a like a song that was a pretty big hit in like Georgia and Florida, but like wasn't a hit in New York City. Like I, you know what I mean? And it wasn't all as connected. So so I never never once had heard this song, and instantly knew it was like the subject matter was um, really really strange. Um, not something people sang about. I mean, I could tell it was probably from like you know the mid '60s to early '70s. You know, it has that vibe or whatever, um, and just. Subject was out of this world. The, the sound was way, way different. Um, they used strings, almost like sound effects in it. And, and I just like instantly remembered it. And I, I went home that night and tried to learn it. Just just, uh, just blew me away. And Bobby Gentry is like to this day one of my musical heroes. She's such a cool, cool chick. All right, let's hear it. This is Ode to Billy Joe by Bobby Gentry from her 1967 album of the same name. It's Dick Martin's third song on this episode of Three Song Stories. You know, you sent that to me. I didn't recognize the name. I didn't recognize the name Bobby Gentry at all. And then when I Googled it and I listened to it, I was like, I don't know where it took me back to, but it was certainly in my brain somewhere. Yeah, There's something yeah. about that very, you know, it's definitely got that weird It's almost going. like soundtrack style strings. Like it's something you hear in a movie soundtrack. Yeah, from that era too. That, and, that late oh, 60s. Yeah, it's almost like James Bondy. Yeah, type yeah, stuff. yeah, 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 yeah. But then the like the, the guitar is like this simple, like uncompressed, like little bluesy uh Dom Seventh chord, just I guess it's a tenor guitar or something too. She capos it. Yeah, so it's real kind of almost uh, like small sounding, you know, um, which is such a strange arrangement, um, but just fascinating. I love that song. I love Bobby Gentry. What else does she do, or, or you know, where, how else she might does I know her? Fancy, which I think Reba McIntyre covered at okay. one point, maybe in like uh, the early '80s. Uh, she also does a really good version of "Son of a Preacher Man." Oh, like I, lots of people I, know that song because like Pulp Fiction and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do you cover uh, "Ode to Billy Joe"? I cover "Ode to Billy Joe." <laughs> um, uh, because I and it's it's weird too. It's because uh, it's it's specifically from a female point of view, which I don't I don't do that many songs that are necessarily from a one point of view, really hardcore. Um, but I just love it, and it's one of those songs too. Of if I'm in a place and I play it, and it's the type of atmosphere where people are like listening to the words, it knocks them dead. And I mean, not not because I'm performing it so well. I mean, just because the words are so incredible to it. Um, but if you're not, it's just like a nice little groovy tune in the background. You know what I mean? So, but I, I love covering that song. You uh, you mentioned earlier that you book your band out three months as far as you can. Is your band you and other people? In your in the, in the way you described your music to me, you kind of made it sound like you're a one man show. Flesh out the band. Yeah, it's 
I started using loopers and sequencers and drum machines and stuff like that. Um, And I've always, like, had a big interest in that stuff. But got to the point where um, musicians are kind of unreliable. So I had to maybe have, like, this drummer for a year and a half and things would be going really good. And just when I felt like he was getting good, he'd, you know – uh, decide he was going to marry a girl and I'd get a new drummer, you know what I mean? And then you feel like you're taking such a step backwards for a long time. So I wanted to figure out ways to like implement that stuff into the show to where if I had like a bass player leave and I had a new guy come in, it wouldn't take so long. Um, so now it's almost like we do everything where uh, a lot of times it's just me solo, a lot of times it's me and a bass player, a lot of times it's me, bass player, and a drummer. You got a band name? Um, yeah, it's the lower middle class. The lower middle class. Yeah, it's I like, like we wanted to be try to figure out the most unpretentious name because like if you're super poor, there's like people romanticize if you're like dirt poor, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? They think that's hip, but lower middle class just seems so lame it's and like white bread, tepid water, can't catch it. So there's nobody romantic, you know, nobody, nobody thinks the lower middle class is a cool place to be. So I don't know, just wanted to find the most uncool name we could. Where do you typically play up there? Um, tonight we played a place called, uh, I guess, well, I guess we'll, this will be out in a couple of weeks or something, right? Yeah. That's, you know, so it's okay. if we, we somehow can travel space. back in time, uh, no, but most, most Thursdays we play at this place called 548 in St. Pete and, uh, we really kind of open up in there and we play, it's a five hour show. So we really get to play for a long time. Wow. And, yeah. And it's weird it, We're we're kind of a more like electronic, um, hip hop kind of mood in there most of the time where like a lot of times we're down on the beach, we're kind of a little bit more, more breezy. Down there, it kind of depends where we are, but five four it gets pretty crazy. So we we like going uh, late and really loud in there. I mean, just any show that goes till three in the morning is going to be a little bit crazy. Yeah, I would think. Um, do you spend a lot of time in the studio during the day? Do you sleep super late because you're playing super late gigs? Yeah, I I try to sleep as late as I can. Dave's nodding. Yeah, yeah, I try to. <laughs> Uh, like when you're, you know, the, was getting the, the, here at three o'clock in the afternoon from St. Pete, getting up early. Oh yeah, a little bit. I got, I shot for about appreciate uh, the eleven. Effort. No, that's all right. That's all right. Um, you know, it's just like something that goes till three. By the time you're getting home and eating a little dinner, you know, it's six thirty in the morning. And um, but uh, luckily, like my girl, uh, my girlfriend is a server, so she usually works pretty late too. Oh, so like kind of on the same. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm out a little bit before she is. Sometimes she's out a little bit before I am. But you know. Hmm. Um, uh, music that you've recently discovered that you are into that you think you might p- pass along to our listeners because they wouldn't have heard of it. Ooh, like brand new stuff that's dropping right now? Not necessarily. If you found something that's off the beaten path that still might not be in people's minds. Um, actually, or, or brand no, new, no, you know, there one kid, and I guess, I don't know how long, I mean, don't go wrong, it's, overnight successes are usually around for 20 years, you know what I mean? But there's this kid, uh, Hobo Johnson. That's great. He's like this chubby rapper kid. And uh, I've only seen a video or two, but like his band just seems like they're playing on like toys that you buy from Walmart, just weird okay. little drum pads and stuff. But the kid just, I don't know, like raps about his parents. What's his getting, name again? Hobo. Hobo Johnson. He like raps about his parents getting divorced and, and things like that. And it's, I mean, it's very juvenile. That's why I love it, though. There's, you know, it's not trying to be more mature than it is. It's just, it's a kid being a kid. And uh, it just, it feels, it feels authentic, I guess. But uh, so, yeah, like, so we'll a video or two, but that stuff seems really, really great. Is there anything super mainstream that you like? Um, let, what was that? Uh, oh yeah, I mean he's he's I mean he's been underground for a minute, but uh, now uh, Childish Gambino. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh my God, Redbone from last year, and then This Is America. I mean, that's it's 
it's not often that any of the, is that political and that mainstream. Like that rarely, rarely happens anymore. You know, most of this stuff is pretty, pretty bubblegum, um, which I'm fine with too. I love, you know, pop music. That, that's fine. But for just something to have that much, um, you know, political weight behind it and then still be like a hit song, it's pretty rare now. Hmm. So that guy is just on fire. Atlanta's brilliant. Uh, uh, Donald Glover, I guess is his real name, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you know, good. I, I had somebody on this show, you know, I don't know, about a month ago when that song first hit, and I asked him that same question. He said, you know, Childish Gambino, and I said, I, I don't know who you're talking about. He's like, and he kept explaining it, because I don't really <laughs> listen to popular music. No, really. yeah, sure. And suddenly I was like, oh, I know what you're talking about because I heard a story about it on NPR. So that's how close I get to pop music is I, I hear people talk about it. You know, my thing is, like, I'll see, like, parodies of stuff. Sometimes there'll be some popular movie that I don't see, but I've seen four parodies about it. So, like, I pretty much have seen that movie. Yeah. I, get, I get the gist. Uh, but, yeah, Childish Gambino, Donald Glover, anything that guy puts out that I've heard seems really, really smart and really well produced and uh, really well thought out. And he's just – I mean, Atlanta's, like, the best show on TV. He's running the best show and dropping the best music. So and he's impressive. Lando Calrissian. Yeah, I haven't actually seen that yet. But that's pretty hip. That's a, you know, that's a great get if you're an actor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it was really refreshing for me because not knowing who on earth he is or was, I had no baggage for when I saw Solo. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't like, oh, that's the guy from Atlanta or that's – I had no baggage. And so I really could see Lando in him, which was nice. Yeah, sometimes you kind of take – previous roles into stuff with you yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so that's definitely nice but yeah he's super smart and i heard that like uh back in the 90s he went to some website and it was like hip-hop name generator and you would like press a button and just like random words would pop up and he pressed the button the first thing that popped up was childish gambino which i think like you know really childish gangster that's most hip-hop music right like that's that's, like yeah yeah so yeah i always thought that was a pretty funny name to go with you know um but uh uh, yeah, I can't get enough of that stuff. And this is America Video specifically. Yeah, yeah. Really, I have now since really been good. gone and looked at it all the different layers. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah so good. So crazy. the SNL performance of it was really, really good. And it was mostly just like a couple of kids dancing. It wasn't anything like over the top with effects or anything. But uh, I don't know. So keeping an eye on that guy. Um, last question: Is there any song that you will always turn off if it you, if you are exposed to it via the radio or something for whatever reason? Uh, <laughs> yeah, just like Barracuda. I can't, can't, dude. I cannot stand Barracuda, uh, (laughs) Magic Man, any of that. Like, I get like late 70s kind of female sung stadium rock. I just, I can't, I can't jive with any of it. What about the bangles? I like the bangles. Walk like an Egyptian Manic Monday. That's a whole different thing. That was like, like, like pop, the pop music version of punk. Uh, I, I, it's weird. I had bangles. I had a weird toy as a child that took toy cassettes, and uh, one of the toy cassettes played like the first half of Walk Like an Egyptian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that is all the time that we have. Do you have any, any final thoughts here, Mr. I, Martin? Just, you know, thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate being in. We make three song stories in the WGCU studios on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chenqui is our show's co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is our online content producer. Our executive producer is Chris Duffus. Our theme music was created by Stick Martin and Dave 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 Cowan at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. And today's show was directed by Dave 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 Cowan. 
Okay, you out there in podcast land, we want to hear from you. Pick a song that brings you back to a story from your life. Write out that story and email it to mysongstory at wgcu.org. We will then contact you and help you record your story so we can use it as a parting tune at the end of a future episode. For my parting tune this week, I'm going back to the early 2000s. I was actually reminded of this song because of the From Vinyl recording of Styx's first song, Ode to Billy Joe, because it was digitized straight from vinyl. It had the clicks and pops you'd get from an album. Well, that brought me back to an album that I often used to play as background music during parties because it was just so weird and groovy. And because I had recorded it from an LP, it also had the old school clicks and pops. The album is called Jazz Raga. It was recorded live in 1966 by a Hungarian guitarist named Gabor Zabo. Sorry, Gabor, if I got that wrong. This is one of the covers it contained, if you can believe it, Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones. When I hear this song or anything off this album, I will never be able to resist traveling back in time to our little house along the river in North Fort Myers that was destroyed by Hurricane Charlie, and the good times that were constantly afoot there, until Charlie, with something like this song spinning in the background. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. <laughs> and that was intense. You know, on the lawn and lots of mud and people sliding around. And, you know, and then we had, you know, the freak show on the side where people had all the piercings and lifting, you know, things with certain body parts that weighed a lot of, you know, a lot of weight.